Welcome to The Stack, a weekly podcast where we discuss the latest in the world of sales, marketing, and tech, and dive into interesting topics like SEO, content marketing, HubSpot, Wistia, Databox, you name it. Today is Friday, August 17th, 2018, and we're coming to you from the Pepperland Marketing Studio here in Cheshire, Connecticut. I'm your host, Sean Henry. I'm Tim Stabersky. And I'm Ryan Sylvester. And this is our first episode of this podcast, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, I think so. I'm already having fun. (laughs) So in this uh, podcast, basically what we're going to do is share uh, the latest news, articles, blog posts, tweets, developments, whatever, um, that caught our attention um, and we think have a a major impact in the world of sales marketing or or tech. Um, We're going to try to explain these things in plain English, really break it down for you. Um, give you the the bullet points. So if you don't have time to read through all this content, you'll still at least be in the know and uh, probably share some of our own advice and thoughts about each of these uh, different articles. So this is the format. We'd like to know what you think. So if you do follow along, send us a message, tweet to us, send us a message on Facebook. Instagram, Send us an owl. Pinterest. Yeah, no, I, I just I like laughing at you guys. You're just staring at me. <laughs> like, what's Sean going to say now? Um, whatever. Uh, what, so I would prefer, let me ask you guys, if somebody were to send me a message on social media, I would prefer they tweet me. What would you Ooh. guys prefer? I, so I will say um, someone a few months ago mm-hmm. tweeted at me um, <laughs> to ask about possibly re- using an article that I wrote for my, my personal website. Yeah. I got back to them a month and a half later because I do not Check. Just install the Twitter. app. Get a little note. <laughs> I, I think Twitter is probably the appropriate way. I I too, like Tim, don't use Twitter that much, yes. but I do. I check it every day. I'm not posting it all. I'm, I'm not posting on it all the time. So I, I would prefer if someone reached out to me, they, they do it through Facebook or, e- or email. Okay. Frankly. See, I'm, I'm, I'm creeped out by that. If I get a message from somebody I don't know on Facebook, I know, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I am bothered by it. Really? So, yes. Okay. Well, I am. But well, you're you welcome have. to, if you're listening and you feel compelled to send me a message on Facebook, you can. Uh, I encourage you to read my bio on my Facebook page. You'll, you'll get a kick out of it. But uh, all right, well, let's let's dive in. Um, so we're going to, this is the format. We share content that stood out to us uh, that we think is newsworthy to you um, and give you our, our takeaways from it. And the first thing that caught my attention is actually a tweet. This is from Alan uh I don't know if they're pro- I'm pronouncing their name right. Alan Blyweiss? Blyweiss? How would you guys pronounce that? Blyweiss? All right. Just as good. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies if you're listening and uh, we mispronounce your name, although I'm sure you're not listening. Um, they uh, tweeted from Hawaii. That's kind of fun. And they said, ooh, first time seeing this, site migration gone wrong notice. And they have a screenshot from Google Search Console. So this is one of those messages that Google Search Console sends out to Anybody who's verified their website in Google Search Console, it's a great way to know when Google's detected an issue with their website. And there's a brand new warning that they've just started rolling out. And the, the headline is, Google cannot find some pages after HTTPS migration of, and that lists their website. And it gives you some high-level overview of what you should do to resolve the issue. Now, if you've never migrated your website from HTTP to HTTPS, you're in for a barrel of fun. You have to uh, hmm. set up redirects and you know make sure that it's still easy for users to access all your content, for Google to crawl your content, um, and unfortunately, most websites screw that up. I was just going to say, is this heavily a redirect issue? It usually is, yeah. So it's usually tied to the way you've uh, set up your redirects. Um, 
sometimes, you know, if we're going to get real geeky here for a minute, there's a, a, a tag called rel canonical and the rel canonical might point to the HTTP version, but you're forcing everybody to go to HTTPS and then Google has a hard time understanding what you want it to do. Um, so it's an easy thing to, to mess up. Fortunately, it's an easy thing to fix. Unfortunately, most websites have no idea that they screwed it up. You know, they've taken Google's guidance to migrate to HTTPS, but then, you know, overlooked a certain step. But fortunately now they're giving you the heads up. So that's cool. And Tim, you're about to migrate a site to uh, HTTPS. I, right? I, am, <laughs> I am sure that in a few weeks to a few months when I eventually do that, I will be getting this exact notice <laughs> um, because I am going to make well, at least a few news. mistakes. You work at a marketing agency and this have is people true. in the know. So. <laughs> well, you will help you. Um, so check that out. We'll put that in the show notes. Another article, just we're going to stick on this whole theme of updates from Google because there's a lot of interesting stuff in the world of Google this week. There was an article on searchenginejournal.com and it was written by, who's the author? Let me scroll back to the top. Or where do they list the, oh, there it is. Uh, this is written by Mark uh, Trapigan, and the headline is Why Author Reputation Matters More Than Ever for Search. Why do you guys think that is? Why do you think author reputation matters? Here's why. Because we don't want to read anything from a person that knows nothing about that topic. That's right. I heard an expert once tell me that uh, exercise, it like eliminates any minimal amount of what, what was the quote from that subject matter expert? I believe, I believe that the subject matter expert that you're talking about once said that exercise reduces the limited amount of vital energy that you are born with. That's right. Um, because we're all born with a finite amount of energy, like a battery, like yes. a battery. And if we use too much of that by exercising, we will actually die sooner. Right now. If Google trusted that unnamed subject matter expert or so-called subject matter expert and answered that question in Google search results, a lot of searchers would start to scratch their head and say, hmm, that's not really the best advice. And that would be bad for Google. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great example. Like that's why I think this, this stuff matters. Um, so there's been a lot of signals uh, recently that suggest that Google is doubling down or, or will soon be doubling down on um, evaluating both the website's authority on a subject matter, but also the author's authority on the subject matter. And it's that authorship piece, which is sort of the really new development. Um, in this article, they talk about a recent update to Google's search quality rater guidelines. And that's a, a lot of people don't know this, but Google has, you know, algorithms, you know, it's machine learning, it's, it's kind of updating its algorithm automatically you know, with guidance from its engineers, but it's basically a machine that's reviewing content and deciding how it's going to rank it in search results. It's not people doing it, mm -hmm. but they do have, um, I don't know, I think it's quite a few people that they hire to manually do searches and critique what they find. And it's um, basically how they validate that their algorithm, algorithm is working the way that they want it to. And that was a, they have a, a pretty comprehensive document that is the uh, Google search quality rater guidelines that trains them on everything that they need to do to evaluate the quality of a search results page. Um, and historically, that's been a very secretive thing. And for the past two years or so, Google's been making it public and actually encouraging people to go and read it. Really great way to understand what Google values and how it gauges quality. Uh, but in the most recent update, which I think it was about a month or two, 
yeah, something like about a month ago, I think, um, they really doubled down on um, two core areas. One was the authority of the uh, um, of the author and the website. And I, I'm actually forgetting what the other major section was. But um, anyway, this article kind of dives into it and really talks about why the author's credibility matters and uh, some things that you could do about it. Um, and I think they give you some very specific recommendations on how you could strengthen your credibility. Um, what does it say here? Tim, you read this, didn't you? Yeah, here we I, go. I so did. It's suggesting that content creators work hard at establishing your EAT, EAT for short, um, <laughs> which uh, is short for expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. They're suggesting you be active and responsive on social media. You seek opportunities to be interviewed and quoted online. You seek to publish content relevant, relative to your areas of expertise and well-regarded, topically relevant publications, and on and on and on. And I think the, the key takeaway here for marketers, content creators, is um, you. It, it's harder to just get by writing about something that you're not truly a subject matter on. Um, I think readers pick up on it. They're going to be able to tell if what you're writing about is not authoritative. And it seems like soon Google's going to be able to do that as well. And they're probably doubling down on figuring out how to gauge that, uh, that quality. So I don't know. What do you guys think about it? Well, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense because the, the way that some websites work that, you know, they work like content mills. They just hire a bunch of freelancers to churn out content to rank mm -hmm. for keywords. And you know, that might be, that might've worked years in the past, but now there's, there's this push. You, you want to be reading from authoritative sites with authoritative authors who know their stuff. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that Google would be trying to find a way to um, really prioritize that. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, that's going to be better for the web. Now it's challenging for us as an agency because we do write content for some of our clients and we are not always the subject matters on the, the topic that we're writing about, but we, we actually take that into account, right? Tim? So like when you're writing an article, you're typically we'd when, when that article is published on a client website, it would be published under an employee name right. who in theory would, be they're believed a major contributor. as yeah, exactly. but they are like they're actively they're contributing, contributing to, the, to article. the article. So yep. you know, the reality is you may could you may be a uh, guru on a subject, you know that topic inside and out, but you are a terrible writer. So that's why um, some of our clients hire us to to create that content for them because we are, you know, you in particular, Tim, you're an experienced trained writer, right? Um, so what we do uh, to handle this is we have a really deep conversation with the subject matter expert. You know, we, we do that research. Uh, we then shape that knowledge into the, the piece. But then that subject matter expert still has the opportunity to review, provide feedback. Yep. So even though they may need, we sort of ghost writ, wrote. Uh, well, so I, I, <laughs> either it would be written as them. Right. Or it would be written with quotes sprinkled in from them. Yes. Yeah. Which also helps now, with does, the, do the, the quotes authority. have a direct. Uh, effect on the authority of that's, the, if that's some of the thinking. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. absolutely. If, at least if, yeah. if that person is an authority. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right. And so you could see Google eventually like, so if the article references an expert, how is that same expert referenced on other websites across the right. web, you know, and, and they're eventually going to create this profile of how authoritative that individual is and what topics their name is attached to. So I think that's the direction that search is going to go where it's able to really understand that um, expertise and the topics where you, you know, are authoritative on, uh, whether it's the brand or the individual. So that's, that's something that I think we're going to be thinking about a lot. 
uh, planning for and encourage you to do the same thing. The other cool thing about this article is it really, um, it highlights, um, it's not just the author, it's the, the brand or the website's topical authority. And this backs into something that we've talked about a lot lately around, you know, topics over keywords, um, you know, leaning into the things that you, you know, and know well. Right. And just when you're, when you're thinking about your editorial edit, editorial strategy, making sure that you're choosing topics that have a direct um, and clear line back to your, your company, not just things that are, that are going to, mm-hmm. you know, rank and get you, get you, you views and clicks. Yeah. It should be something that, that matters to your company. That would be, that makes sense that you're going to be writing about. Totally. Totally. Another article, this is on searchengineland.com, and this is more just news. It's an update, something that Barry Schwartz is pretty well known in the uh, SEO community, I believe noticed, or somebody reported it to him. And uh, Google's rolled out a new expandable featured snippet uh, that includes more information. So, you know, you're browsing the web, you'll find, typically find a website where it has like this collapsible accordion where you can kind of click it and it reveals more information. Google's taking that same format and it's displaying at the top of search results in those little featured snippet areas. And uh, in the example in the article, they have a screenshot of a search quartz versus granite, and you get the typical um, uh, featured snippet answer towards the top, or you get a definition of quartz versus granite, the link, but then there's a expandable accordion just below it where it breaks down cost, benefits, weight, and you can drill in uh, a little bit deeper to learn about each of those topics. So very cool. It's um, you know interesting to see how many new formats Google's or, you know, special features Google's weaving into, uh, the search results. It is really cool. I, I, one of the other examples in that article, um, that they, they illustrated with is, um, if you search emergency fund. Mm. So, and I actually did that same search. Um, I did it on my desktop and also on my, my, my cell phone, my smartphone, my phone, <laughs> um, <laughs> my and cellular telephone, my cellular device. And w- what was interesting is um, the expandable featured snippet right now, at least only appeared um, when I did the search on mobile. Hmm. Um, it didn't, it didn't trigger when I did the search on my desktop. I'm, I'm not sure if that's just because Google's the prioritizing mobile. mobile. And they do. Yep. They, that's why I, that's actually yeah. why I, I checked it out. That, um, that, that is interesting. So you're wait, so you're seeing the screenshot on mobile, but not on, but not yet on desktop. Can I provide a theory? Please. Okay. Please do. <laughs> um, a lot of websites are not mobile friendly. They take a long time to load. Ooh. So I'm guessing Google probably sees that people give up on search more often on a mobile device. And maybe they're a little bit more persistent when they're on their desktop and their connection's a little bit stronger. Um, or just experience is better when they're on desktop. So therefore they're more likely to or more willing to click on a search result, hit the back button, go to the next one. On mobile, I think they may want to surface more information, give even a more illustrative preview before they do the click. So it's more likely you click on the result that's going to serve your intent. That's I want, my theory. I don't know. I wonder too if if like urgency has anything to do with it. I, I don't know about you guys, but when I search on my when I, if I search for something on my phone, it's because something popped in my head and it was so important to me sure. that I didn't want to forget about it. Yeah. So in theory, having all that information very quickly and easily accessible makes more sense. Yeah. On desktop, it's usually less urgent, like to your point. Um, I don't know. Definitely. Let me, let me throw this at you guys. So looking at this picture, which we'll put the link in the show notes so you guys can look at this, but 
in the top, you'll see it's, you know, the overview of what, you know, your search is. And then it goes into, uh, for, for this example, it's quartz versus granite. Mm-hmm. Now, if that were me, I wouldn't want to be in cost benefits, you know, at first right. because sure. what's the search volume? You know what I mean? So yeah. is someone really going to click on that stuff? If someone is searching for quartz and granite, they probably want this, um, this overview and they, I would rather be, you know, featured ranking second underneath this featured snippet. That's that. That's true. The, the, so this expandable kind of it functionality is probably going to be more for those broader terms. Right. So wait, are you, I'm not sure I follow. So you're, are you saying that there may be more benefit to be the secondary listing here rather than the first? Maybe. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. And I think yeah. that it's because this is going to sound stupid, but it's that extra click. Yep. You know what I mean? So I would rather be, if, if this all jumbled mess gets in front of me and I say, Hey, I don't want to click through the car. It's not a jumbled mess, but, um, you hurt their feelings. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I would never disagree with Google. And if Google, you're listening, I apologize. But, um, I don't know. I, I think that maybe there is value in ranking underneath this featured snippet. I don't know. In this I, case. Yeah. I, now I imagine know. if your article is what's generating every single one of these things. Right. That would be awesome. Yeah. Right. But in, in this first example, it, it's showing that it's, it's not, it's different right. well, articles it, ranking for different terms. It, right. And it's, it's almost, um, if you think about it like that, it's almost as if this featured snippet is acting like, um, a preliminary lead qualification step yeah. because mm. if someone's actually going to take the time to click through one of the more specific articles mm-hmm. good that is leading to your source, if it, let's say cost or, or pricing that, that leads to, you know, whoever is on that page likely has more intent to buy. That's a great point. So a um, little rant, go um, for it. <laughs> you know, working with a lot of different clients, uh, we often get a lot of pushback when we try to go after terms that don't get a lot of, um, or topics that don't get a lot of volume. And something I'm always trying to stress is that we shouldn't be chasing volume. We should be chasing quality. So yeah, I mean, there, I think a lot of people in the SEO world are, are um, pretty upset about the rise of uh, featured snippets and all these new features that Google's rolling into the search results page because it's actually reducing the amount of um, potential click volume you can get, right? It's limiting how much traffic you could get from a search results. But forcing page. quality. Right. You could then argue that the, content, the, you know, the traffic you are still getting or will get in the future is going to be higher quality because if people can, if their intent is like their needs are fully met by just reading that little paragraph, mm. why are you wasting your time with those people? You right. know, right. So. Featured snippets, um, probably more are actually just hurting the publishers who rely on ad revenue. Right. Exactly. Um, but right. then it's, but when it comes to a business making a sale, mm-hmm. it, it's not yeah. a bad thing. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, uh, if you are the featured snippet, 90% of the time, at least for the, the queries that we tend to target with our content, that's going to mean you're getting twice the three times the amount of traffic you would usually get without the featured snippet because it um, it's really capturing a wider percentage of the total amount of clicks from the search results page. So you would think, well, Google's displaying that information in the search results. Why are people going to click through? That's true for certain queries, like what temperature? what's the temperature in Alaska? Right. Why would you need to click through um, to a website to find out the temperature of Alaska? Would you, Google could just tell you in the search right. results page. But if it's something where you're naturally going to want to learn more once you get your immediate answer, it's kind of a pre-qualifier, pre-qualifier that this website has quality information. It's worth your time. So you're going to click through, right? 
So anyway, we're spending too much time in this article. What else well, do we have? <laughs> well, you know, to that point, <laughs> speaking about quality, um, recently we've seen a lot of um, a lot of interest swirling around an old blog post on the Google Webmaster Central blog. Mm. Um, it was actually published back in 2011. Um, but what it speaks to is the importance of um, the quality of content and how that really is a, it's a, it's a, a ranking yeah. signal yep. um, in Google's algorithm. Um, I'm sorry, this was written by? Doesn't really matter. It, well, by the Googles. Um, Amit yeah. Singal. I want to give credit where credit is due and yeah. I'm sure I butchered his name. Um, but the, why, why do you think this interest has come back up, Sean? Well, so there's a lot of, you know, again, in, mostly in the SEO world, there's a lot of speculation right now that some of the recent changes to Google's algorithm were connected back to that quality side of things or the authoritiveness, right? Those, one of those two things. In fact, when um, Google's search liaison was asked about the recent algorithm change, like wh what did it look for? What did it penalize? What did it reward? Um, their answer was was pretty vague and just that, you know, it's just a core update. We do this all the time. No action is necessary. But nobody's ever happy with an answer like that. So people keep digging, keep digging. And I think it was um, one of Google's Twitter handles in Japan. I think it was Japan. Um, they said you should really focus on quality if you were penalized by this recent or negatively impacted by this recent change. And that little clue is like all anybody needed to say, well, it's all about quality. And that might be true. It might not be. But, uh, well, and if you go back to this, this older blog post with the guidance, which again, straight from Google, um, they list some questions that you should be asking yourself, um, mm -hmm. that really help you kind of put yourself in the seat of the searcher, um, to understand whether or not your content in your website is. Yeah. It's, quality it's an awesome, content. awesome checklist. Yeah, you know, it is. Like and it, you could, you can literally sit here and go through question by question and determine whether or not you're meeting the benchmarks. And if you're not, then you can make edits and improve your content across the board and likely your rankings. Yeah. So if you've seen a decline in traffic in recent weeks, go to this article, you know, critique your content against these questions. So just to read some, would you trust the information presented in this article? Is this article written by an expert or enthusiast who knows the topic well, or is it more shallow in nature? Does the site have duplicate, overlapping, or redundant articles on the same or similar topics with slightly different keyword variations? And the, That's a big one. Again, interesting, going back to 2011, there's this shift between keywords and mm -hmm. topics, which we're now seeing eight, seven years later kind of bubbling back up. Yeah. So it's just interesting how here's, far back Google's thinking goes. Our lives quite a bit, you know, creating content on behalf of some of our clients. Is the content mass produced by or outsourced to a large number of creators or spread across a large network of sites so that individual pages or sites don't get as much attention or care? I, it sounds like that point is more focused on, you know, the just like cover everything approach. Yeah. Then it, it focuses on the variety of authors, but um, you know, that may speak more to that developing I, an expertise, right? I think the goal, the, 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 the key behind that question is whether or not there's an aspect of quality control it, is someone mm -hmm. yeah. reviewing and editing each piece to make sure that it meets some sort of um, editorial guidelines. Right. Um, because that, that it's again, a, a signal to, to, to quality. Are the articles short, unsub unsubstantial or otherwise lacking in helpful specifics? Depth, right? 
Well, I think anticipate it kind of the next question. I think it kind of speaks to the fact that you know, stay stay in your lane. You know, like be be the pro at you know a a list of topics. But creating like, tie dye socks. Creating tie dye socks. <laughs> yeah, I am the tie dye sock wizard. Wizard. dot com. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like you so know, don't write about writing making tie dye t shirts. You focus on your socks. Right. Yeah. Right. It's owning. It's owning your topics. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a your your examples are just always yeah, they're wonderful yeah. all right what else we got what else we got um well and then speaking or not speaking but jumping off of that uh, another content sort of optimization focused article that we saw this week um was from search engine roundtable.com um and it's called google taking old content and relabeling it is as and relabeling it as new is a bad SEO hack. And I think this was kind of obvious to a lot of people. You can't just take old content yeah. and update the date. Read the tweet. If you yeah. Know. So it, the, the, the insight actually came from um, John <laughs> Mueller, <John. laughs> yes. Mueller uh, over at Google who, um, and, and he, he, well, he did, replied to somebody. Right? Yeah. He, he yeah. was replying to a, okay, let's start with the bad tweet. Yeah. There was a bad tweet. And you know, we don't mean to pick on this person. Yes. But they said, as we are heading towards 2019, all title tags on December 31st will be changed to quote, how to rank in 2019 or to <laughs> one thousand ways to rank in 2019 and then hashtag SEO hack. Um, So Google's John Mueller um, decided to put on his SEO angel hat and just offer a little bit of guidance. It's not official Google guidance, but still gives us some insight into their way of thinking. Um, And he said, as a user, recognizing that old content is just being relabeled as new completely kills any authority that I thought the author and site had Mm. good content is not lazy content. SEO hacks don't make a site. Great. Give your content and users the respect they deserve. So that sounds like a pretty clear indication that Google probably doesn't want you just relabeling old content as new content. Cause it'll catch up with you. Whether it's Google or anything hacks are not a good Yeah strategy it's not good for your your customers to hack them into doing something right um so yeah i mean it's it's forceful but i'm I'm glad he said it and the thing the thing to take away from this though isn't that you shouldn't be going back and updating old content because you should um google will reward you for maintaining your old content and making sure that it's up to date and um you know, maintain even improve the quality. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so you should be updating your content, mm-hmm. um, but you can't just relabel just, you can't just take something as it was and call it new. Right. right. Well, so because there is some value, so it's being abused, right? Yeah. Um, there, there, there is a, um, HubSpot started talking about this quite a bit, I think two years ago or something like that. Um, where, you know, HubSpot is one of the biggest blogs in the world. I don't know how much they're publishing today, but at one point in time, they were putting out multiple articles a day. It was crazy. Um, and in many cases, they were one of those websites that was addressing the same topic over and over and over again with a slightly different headline. Um, but uh, because they had so much content, a lot of their really good stuff got buried pretty deep. Um, you know, 
several several pages deep if you go into the archives of the blog. Um, but they've also been publishing for a very long time. So some of the advice and guidance they put out a few years ago, maybe it has a ton of links. You know, a lot of people had cited it over the years. Maybe it wasn't really relevant anymore. So they took an initiative to go back to all that older content and um, update it for accuracy, um, you know, thoroughness, uh, just improving it, also raising it to their current standards and saw huge, huge gains in their organic traffic. Um, I think they have a case study up on their website about it. And when HubSpot does something and they brag about it, usually <laughs> everybody else kind of follows, right? Um, including us. We've we've done quite a bit of this and seen a lot of success with it. But I, th- I think the difference there is, again, between actually taking the time to go back and update and, mm-hmm. and correct and make the content better right. and just slapping a new date on it. Exactly, yeah. Like we do it all the time for ourselves. We do it for clients where we... Uh, where we um, will see pages that have possibly had their rankings slip right. over over the, the year or two years um, or just things that are quoting old information, old data, and we'll update it. And often we do see a, 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 mm-hmm. a, an increased tick in the, the impressions and totally. clicks that we're getting. Yeah. I hate to say it, but potentially just changing the date from 2018 to 2019 and not touching the content at all, it may actually still help you. So this is one of those um, things where people who like to hack, right, and abuse Google's algorithms, manipulate Google's algorithms, uh, they they tend to discover where the you know the gaps are. But Google catches on, and then they will adjust. So even if it is working for you today, you know that's fine. But just know that's not a approach you could continue for much longer because they will correct for it, right? Especially if someone who works for Google yes, is yeah. aware that it's a problem. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So that's that's a, a definitely an interesting one. So uh, moving a little bit away from the Google side and going to the social side. Hi, Google. Um, I was reading this article from Buffer, and it was from, this is an easy one, Brian Peters. And the, uh, <laughs> the one name that we can pronounce very easily. <laughs> um, the title is is pretty, it, it grabs you. So it says, we analyzed 43 million Facebook posts from the top 20,000 brands. So this is just, it, it throws together some uh, some key takeaways that he saw where uh, top pages are posting a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, as many of us know, overall engagement is declining and declining specifically in videos, images, and links. Yeah. Um, That's... I just want to pause it. That yeah. that's interesting because I watch Facebook videos every night for like two hours. Well, for the past I don't know year, year and a half, there's been so much buzz about. Well, if you want engagement on Facebook, it's video all the way. And well, that's that's the that's the theme in marketing in general. But see that even that's declining because that's what you said, right? Video engagement on Facebook is right. also declining. I mean, right. that's that's something. But anyway, finish here. Um, so <laughs> the the trend for overall for highest overall engagement was posting at least five times a day. Mm-hmm. That's kind of shocking. Yeah. Um, and, and and it goes back to the quality aspect. So Facebook, much like Google, it relies on the quality aspect of, of posts and, and content and stuff like that. So you have to have five quality posts a day on Facebook to have the highest engagement. Shocking. Effort. Mm. Here's my two cents. Stop wasting time on Facebook. You're wasting your time. Unless you are a huge company and you have the resources, there's other ways you could invest your limited time in the day. And it's 
probably not. So do you think that these standards of like, hey, you have to, if you really want to yeah. have engagement, you have to post five times a day, quality posts. You're yeah. saying don't waste your time. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I believe that that's probably true, right? So mm-hmm. their analysis, I'm sure, is a good one. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is that engagement on Facebook and really, so when I say engagement, let me correct myself. I don't really care if engagement is increasing or decreasing. Um, but if if I need to generate qualified leads and that's my primary goal, um, I'm mostly going to lean into the tactics that are going to help me get to that number. Um, and if social networks like Facebook are keeping people on the platform more and they're not referring people back to your site as much and I have limited resources, I'm probably not going to spend as much time on the social networks as I did a year or two ago. Not to say there's not a very valuable way to leverage uh, the social networks, but I'm just saying when you have limited resources, I don't know, maybe it's time to reduce so the time you're putting into Facebook. You, you say reduce the time you're spending in Facebook. Mm-hmm. Focus that energy in Controversy. tactics <laughs> that are you know going to get you in front of those qualified leads. Yeah. Then what does that mean for your social presence? What do you think the... Well, the it depends pro- on how you're thinking of social presence. So we, we've talked about this earlier this week where... Me personally, historically, I, my primary interest in social networks was, well, how, how can I use that to get traffic to my website? Right. Right. And I, that's led to a lot of abuse of the social networks. That's led to a breakdown of trust uh, between the social networks and their users because they catered to publishers and how they could help them get more traffic, leads, et cetera. Which, just interjecting for a minute, another recent article said right. Facebook doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Like just this week or so. I yeah. think they, they said that we've made that mistake before. We're not going to make that moving forward. Like Facebook does not care whether or not they are referring traffic to publishers. Right. So right. just bear that in mind. Sorry for the interrupting. Ultimately, this is good for all of us. <laughs> um, I, I just think it, you know, if, again, if you are a marketing team with limited time, limited resources, double down on things like creating higher quality content, um, optimizing your website for search results, and I would, you know, be reallocating resources away from social. And the, the other important thing is, um, off of that note, if you are creating content that is high quality, that answers the questions that people have, it is content that people are likely to share on their own. There you go. Tim. And that's yep. where you get the value out of social. It's not so much just by broadcasting. It's by encouraging others to do the broadcasting yes. for you. Boom. Yep. We have a guide on how to make more <laughs> share no, that is, worthy content. That is the key. So like, I, I feel like I'm going to get my head bit off for, for saying, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that we should be totally neglecting social media, but I think that's you, you kind of articulated what I'm really thinking. So if you're investing your limited time, money and resources into creating higher quality content, your social engagement should naturally increase. You can facilitate that still. And I think there's a lot of really interesting examples of people doing that. Well, um, we talk about Databox a lot. I think they're they're excellent with social media and the way that they use it as a platform. I love the way Drift uses social media. Um, well, Databox is a great example of someone who uses social to engage others and, and leverage those other networks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even though we see a decline in the video <laughs> so, stuff. Right. So what do you think, Ryan? Do you think we should be posting to Facebook? Platform? I think it's Snapchat all the way. Uh, uh, well, hang on. We're going to get to that. Um, I think that our social media presence should be purely uh, relationship building. Yeah. Conversational stuff. Uh, yeah. I think that instead of flooding our, our profiles with links and say, Hey, check out this content or whatever we should say, you know, Hey, does anyone have any questions about maybe a topic that we've written about mm-hmm. and, and plugging that into our Facebook uh, or social media strategy as a whole. 
Can I throw out one other observation? Uh, so this is a chart from BuzzSumo, and it breaks down Facebook videos, average interactions by topic. Who wants to guess what's at the top? Cat videos. By topic? <laughs> um, close, yeah. Really? Yeah. I was actually going to say cooking because yes, I, I, I watch, I, I don't even cook that much anymore, but yep. I watch so many cooking yes. videos. That's by far like the How far? one. How far? double the next thing. Does that wow. mean that I am... A the typical the Facebook user, because that <laughs> kind of upsets me. So it goes food, fashion and beauty, animals, pets, DIY, humor, funny, gaming, tech. Okay, so now we're down to like number seven or whatever. By the time we get to something that like, you know, from a business, mm, I mean, just like a cookbook or something, right? Mm. Where there's now some business value here. Because um, most sports, of our content would travel. live at the bottom of yeah. that importance list. Right. So towards the bottom of the list, actually third from the bottom is marketing. So it's a marketing agency, you know. Yeah. But uh, I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> so back to Snapchat. So the battle for basically Snapchat stories over Facebook stories and mm-hmm. Instagram stories. And Instagram is stealing away a lot of that, you know, traffic, that that. Uh, Snapchat has seen in Facebook and they've, they've seen a big decline in users. And as Tim, as our in-house Snapchat professional. Yes. I am all about the funny filters. Yeah, but you can get those on Facebook, but you can get those on, wait, can you, uh, can you get those on Instagram? You can, you can. You can. Um, Instagram has some really fun ones. Just throwing that out there. See, exactly. So the in-house Snapchat expert is <laughs> saying that the Instagram ones are fun. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't have anything to say. <laughs> I don't know why I began so I, to I say something. I personally don't use Snapchat, so I, I don't, I can't comment on it. Um, but uh, it's so it, it, I, it, I think I'm not surprised by any of this. My in large part, I stopped using it as often when they, they, they rolled out their redesign a few months ago. And that's um, a, yeah, that's which, a good point. Yeah, I honestly don't know if it was a something I chose to do or if it was just something that happened because life got busy and of all of the social networks, Snapchat is the one least essential to living. And I think <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, yeah. I, I, at this point in life, I rely on Facebook and messenger for a lot of communications back and forth, staying in touch with people. Snapchat's just for fun. Well, I don't use it right, for anything other right. than having fun. Right. I think the other part is that, so if you're watching a cooking video on Facebook, an ad is probably going to pop up in the middle of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And if you go on Instagram, you're going to see sponsored posts. And if you go on Snapchat and you see an advertisement, you can just click right by it. You can, you can skip, you can instantly and that's a big, skip that's Snapchat a big thing. ads. So Snapchat has been saying that, you know, one of the, one of the things you pointed out was the design. And I remember you coming into work and saying, oh, Snapchat changed their design. I hate it. And that's caused a big uproar in the Snapchat community. So just interesting. I think that, uh, I think I, I'm a big Instagram lover. So I'm, I, I'll side with Instagram. I, Instagram's really grown on me lately. Um, Come to the dark side. Jeff. I like Instagram um, because it's a little more private. Not as many people are on Instagram as Facebook. Like I essentially everyone I know is on Facebook at this point. Um, so when I want to be a little more private, I post things to Instagram. That's how I personally use it. I have not ever learned anything on Instagram. I will probably not ever learn anything on Instagram. And that's why Twitter remains my favorite social network. I will say Twitter yeah. was the social network on that study that had the least engagement. But most the, the, the tweeter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I, I, that'd be interesting. If anybody knows which uh, network has the most 
loyalty. I don't know how you would measure that exactly, but I would love to know. Yeah, tweet it at Sean. Yeah. What is your what is your handle so they can actually tweet it at you if it's, they're listening? It's at Sean Henry. Or if you are a telemarketer, it's at Scene Henry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, at Sean Henry. Is that it? Do we have anything else? That's we want it. To I actually so we still had on the list this Neiman Lab article um by Joshua Benton, which is what I had mentioned earlier, just about um, mm. Facebook's message to the media. And we talked about it already, but I will quote them directly. We are not interested in talking to you about your traffic. That is the old world and there is no going back. Also quote, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't care about publishers, but is giving me a lot of leeway and concessions to make these changes, said Ms. Brown. We will help you revitalize journalism. In a few years, the reverse looks like I'll be holding your hands with your dying business like in a hospice. What's the, the, whoa. the wow. implicit threat there being you will either do what we say or your business will, your, 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 you know, the industry will die. Just keep that in mind, publishers. Um, <laughs> that's the happy note we will leave you on. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it. For episode number one. I think it was good. I think so. <laughs> I'm pat myself on my back. Oh, and hit the microphone. Hit at the, the same microphone. Time. There's a there's a loud <laughs> thump. I just pulled a muscle. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, so that's it. Uh, we are hopefully gonna be doing this every Friday. So we'd encourage you to subscribe on iTunes and uh, leave a positive review. I think that'll help quite a lot. Tell your friends, tell your mom, your grandma, strangers Share us on Twitter. The UPS guy and um, baristas. Baristas? Yep. And we'll be back next week. So we'll see you then. 